are a good shepherd. We are the sheep of your hand. And now, Lord, we desire to hear a word from our good shepherd, from you. Speak through me, Lord, and uh, our hearts, may our hearts be open to whatever it is you want to say to us this morning. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. So, the Orthodox Christians have this saying, that we are most ourselves when we worship. You are most who you are when you worship God. That's because God designed us to be worshipers. We are all worshipers. And when we worship God, we are becoming who God designed us to be. So we are most ourselves when we worship. And I, and I believe you know, Christians are gathering around the world and, and people come to, to a worship service like this because deep down, there is a longing. There is a longing and a desire to worship God. Jesus calls it a thirst. We thirst for the living water. St. Augustine called it a restless heart that we need to find that rest in God. I've heard people call it, there's a vacuum in the human heart. We all long to reconnect with our Creator, our Father, the One who has made us. And our hearts will be restless until we worship Him. And Jesus says Himself that the Father is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so many of us, we, we, come to, we come to this worship time, we come to corporate worship, and we're hoping to connect with God. We're hoping to have a real experience with the living God. But I think if we're honest, sometimes we leave worship the same way that we entered in. Say, ah, you know, I didn't, really, I didn't really connect the way that I wanted to. I didn't really hear God's voice clearly or my heart wasn't stirred. And, and so being human, what do we do? We're like Adam and Eve. We start to blame everything else but ourselves. We say, oh, well, the worship team wasn't, you know, wasn't quite what I was wanting today. And the pastor really wasn't on his A game. And, you know, I'm really just not being fed here. You know, and we have all these things. But, my friends, let me tell you something that will help you. Worship is not about what the church is bringing to us, but about what we are bringing to God. The church, or the worship is not about what the church is bringing to us, but about what we are bringing to God. And he wants us to bring our whole selves, our entire selves before him. And so if worship, if it's not about what the church is bringing to me, well, how can we resolve this connection to God that we long for? And I believe that our connection to God is going to improve as you offer more and more of yourself to him, your heart, your mind, your body, your whole life. You know, the scripture has promised that when we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. So we want to draw as fully near as we possibly can when we come to worship. And so if you want your worship to connect you to God in a real way, and you want the, your worship to transform your life, then today's message is for you. But I'm going to warn you, it is going to be costly. It is going to cost you your whole self, your heart, your mind, your body, everything that you are. And when you do that, I believe God will transform you and you will leave here not the same, but transformed. So the main thing I want you to get today is this. Worship with your heart, plus worship with your mind, plus worship with your body, leads to worship with your life. Worship with your heart, plus worship with your mind, plus worship with your body, leads to worship with your life. You see, God is after you. He wants your whole self. He longs to be connected to you fully as well. And so when we totally surrender ourselves to him in worship, it's going to transform us. 
So let's, let's talk about those different parts. Let's talk about the first part, worshiping with your heart. Worshiping with your heart. It is absolutely essential that we worship with our hearts, with our emotions, with our feelings, with our affections, with our passions, with our inner being. Uh, you know, Jesus, when he was quoting Isaiah, he said this in Matthew 15, 8. He says that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, it's quite possible, friends, to sing songs and say prayers and to listen to sermons and to be a generally good church-going person, but to have your heart totally disengaged from what's going on. That's what we call going through the motions. And Jesus, he was preaching against this all the time, that people were doing all the outward things necessary, but no engagement on the inside, no connection to the heart. And if, you're, if this is something you struggle with, I believe your worship is kind of like this guy. The Tin Man. Your worship is all mechanical and robotic and ritualistic, but no, no heart connection, no heart on the inside. And God longs to redeem you from Tin Man worship, from worship that has no heart in it. You know, and we, and we know this intuitively. You know, you know, spouses, you can tell when your spouse does something for you just out of obligation. Oh, uh, well, it's our anniversary again. You want to go to dinner? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? We, we know that intuitively. We know this intuitively. You know, what, you know, every person, whether you're married or not, you can tell when there's empty-hearted love. You know, people can say they love you with their lips all that they want, but they, they don't call. They don't invest their time. They don't show up when you need them to. They don't invest their time, their money, their efforts into the relationship. No, none of you want that kind of relationship. You don't want just lip service. We were made to be loved wholeheartedly, and God wants no less. Look what the psalmist says here, Psalm 86, 12. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with what? With all my heart. All right, say the next one with me. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and the assembly. You see, worshiping, with, worshiping God with our hearts involves engaging our inner selves, our hearts, your feelings, your affections, your desires. James McDonald, pastor at Harvest Bible Chapel, he says, when feelings are dead, so is our worship. When there's no heart connection, our worship is dead. And unfortunately, we come to worship often like the Tin Man, with no heart involved. We're ready to sing the songs, ready to listen and pray, but we're not ready to give our hearts to God, because that would cost us something, wouldn't it? And I believe this is what Matt Redman was, was getting at in that, that wonderful song, The Heart of Worship. I will bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. That's what God is after. He's after your heart in worship. So yes, well, what, what, if, what if you struggle with this? What if, you're, what if you're a tin man when you come to worship? What if your heart's not in it? Well, I would say this to you. Just being honest with God is okay. If you're struggling with connecting with what's going on, just offer that to God. He wants to know uh, what's going on with you. He wants the real you. He wants, he wants that honesty. And I would say also this, just worship intentionally anyway. No matter what season we're in, we all go through different seasons emotionally in life. No matter what season you're in, God is always worthy to be worshiped. But sometimes it's hard to feel that way, isn't it? It's hard to uh, have that feeling, that emotion. So we also, we need to worship God with our minds. We need to worship God with our minds. Let's talk about that part. Most of you know the great commandment, love God all your heart, soul, your mind, 
and your strength. You know, using our minds to worship is essential to life-transforming worship. Look what the psalmist says in Psalm 143, 5-6. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. He's thinking. And then he says, I spread out my hands to you. There's the body. We'll get to that later. And I thirst. My heart's engaged. I, I thirst for you like a parched land. So what does he do here? Let's focus on the kind of the mind part. He, first, he remembers. He remembers. He recalls to mind what God has done in the past. Friends, this actually requires some effort to recall to mind what God has done. The Hebrew word here, it can be rendered to pay attention to. We want to pay attention and remember all the things that God has done for us. Do you remember the times that God has been present in your life? When God was so close to you, when God spoke to you, and then all the things that God has done for us in the past that we read about in the scriptures. So he meditates on it, he pays attention to it, and then uh, the second is he meditates on it, which is exactly like it sounds. He, he muses on it, he, he chews on it. I kind of like the, this idea of, of marinating, kind of letting, letting the word of God marinate. And then, thirdly, he goes to consider or reflect. And the basic meaning of this word is to rehearse, to rehearse, to go over something in one's mind. You know, sometimes we need to think about something, to say something more than one time. <laughs> we need to re repeat uh, whatever prayer or song we're singing because we need to let it go deeper. We need to meditate. We need to think on it. We need to reflect some more. And so if you don't worship with your mind, you end up becoming like this guy. Scarecrow. All heart, no brain. You don't use your brain. You don't engage your mind when you come to worship. Now, some of you, you're really big feelers. You, you're really big feelers. You're big heart people. You, your feelings, uh, you know, you, that's easy for you. You know, you can engage your heart just fine. Now, for you, for you heart people, you need to know that you, that's great and I'm glad for you, but sometimes our feelings can be fickle. Sometimes our feelings can be fickle. So they have to be rooted in the truth about God through God's word. They have to be rooted in the truth. May I remind you that we don't worship our feelings, we worship God. And so often our feelings have to be connected. They have to have that mind connection to who God is. Now, some of you, you're, you're kind of more like the tin, the tin man. You're not, you're not really big feelers. And it's hard for you to engage your heart in worship. And you, you wish that you felt more. Now, let me give you a word of, word of advice here. To unlock your heart, begin with your mind. To unlock your heart, begin with your mind. Begin to reflect on who God is, his beauty, his glory, his character, his love, all that he has done for us, and that will begin to open some things up for you. Focus on God. David did this himself. Look at in Psalm 8 what he says. He says, verse 3 through 4, When I consider, I'm thinking, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. See, we know that David was a shepherd. And I can imagine David, he's, he's watching his flocks by night. A time before there was no artificial light or any the, the lights of a big city or anything like that. And I imagine him, him being out in the darkest of night and considering the heavens. When's the last time you looked at the stars? Has it been a while? 
But he goes out into the night and he, and he, and he observes the heaven, heavens. And then what does that do? He's gazing, he's considering, he's looking at that, and that it prompts worship. He says, wow, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? See, David has to slow himself down enough to consider God's works. And it moves him, it prompts him to worship. And that is what we have to do when we come to worship ourselves. We have to gaze, we have to meditate, we have to consider all that God has done and who he is. So when we worship God, we have to use both our, our head and our hearts. Uh, and some people stop right there and they say, that's, that's enough. You got, your, you got your head, your heart, then you're, then you're good. But us humans, we're more than that, aren't we? We're more than just a head and a heart. We're also embodied people. You know, the early Christians, uh, you can see this in the Bible, they were fighting against a heresy called Gnosticism. And many Greeks believed this. It was the idea that the body is bad, that the soul is trying to escape the body, and that they're really kind of separate things. And this was a heresy that they were trying to fight against in the early times of Christianity. Because Christians don't believe that. We believe the body is good because Jesus took on our flesh. And we believe that bodies and souls are united entities. That whatever happens to your body affects your soul. And what happens to your soul affects your body. They're united. And many Christians say they're Gnostics and they don't even know it. They're Gnostics. And I, I want to help us correct that this morning. So we need, we need to worship with our body. Worship with your body. I want to say this. I ask you not to tune me out on this one. All right? Because I know some of you, you're already, you're already uncomfortable. You're already thinking, what is he going to ask me to do? You're already resisting what I'm about to say already. I know it. And so, but for many of you, I really believe this may be one of the most crucial things that you need to recover to make your worship more life-transforming and connect your heart better to God. You see, worshiping God with our body, with, with different postures and gestures, it's, it's really not some weird thing. It's actually all over the Bible in church tradition. The reality is, our bodies communicate. They send messages all the time. You know, as I was preparing this sermon, I sent a text out to Dr. Emily Langan. And, I, and you know, if you don't know, her, her doctoral thesis is actually in, uh, I don't know what it exactly is, but it's something dealing with bodily communication, gestures, and things like that. And I asked her, I said, well, what percentage of communication do, do people say uh, is involving your body or gestures? And she says, most scholars conservatively would say somewhere between 65 to 70 percent of our communication involves our body. 65 to 70 percent. She told me that 93 percent of emotion is nonverbal. What you can perceive with your, with your eyes, with your, your inflection, with, with your body. And I mean, we also, we also know this intuitively as well. There's a big difference when you greet somebody when, you know, you kind of say, hey, how's it going? Or when you say, hey, how are you? Or maybe even like if you're, you know, if you're you know, looking to get engaged and you want to propose, there's a big difference between, uh, so, hey, you want to get married? <laughs> or, would you, will you marry me? Big difference, right? A simple posture change. Changes the message. It changes what we're saying. And if we focus on our on God with our hearts and our minds, we should also focus our bodies on him as well. The men and women of the Bible knew this intuitively. You know what was the most common way to pray in the, in the scriptures for Jewish people to pray? And then it continued into the early church? 
Do you know what it was? It's called the Irans. You can actually see pictures of this in the catacombs in Italy of Christians. Hands raised, standing, directing their body upward. You know, metaphorically, God is above us. Upwards towards God. You know, and I think for many of us, we think, oh, that's, that, that's for charismatic people. That's kind of a strange thing. Uh, but they're actually much more in line with Scripture and tradition. And now look at, look at just a few. I'm, let me give you some samplings from the Bible. Psalm 63, 4. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will what? Psalm 134, 2. Lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord. Paul says in 1 Timothy, I want men everywhere to what? In prayer. You see, lifting up our hands in prayer. It's, an, it's a very important in the scriptures, both Old and the New Testament. It's a way of reaching out to God. We're directing our prayers towards Him. And I, I truly think, God, you know, this is my opinion, I truly think God loves when we do this. I truly think He, he loves it and He's pleased. And I'll, I'll tell you why I think so. I have a year and a half year old daughter named Daisy. And occasionally, occasionally, she wants me to pick her up. Occasionally. <laughs> And she'll say, she'll come up, she'll come and say, up please, up please, up please. And occasionally, I may not respond to her right away. Occasionally, sorry, forgive me, I might be in the middle of something, I might be cooking something on the frying pan, and she's saying, up please, and I, and I can't respond at that moment. But sometimes when she really, really wants me to pick her up, and she wants to get my te- attention, you know what she does? Da, da. <laughs> up please. My father's heart can't say no when my daughter stretches her hands out to me. And this is what we do when we extend our hands to God. It's to communicate a deep desire, a deep affection, a deep longing to connect with our father, our creator. It's a way of communicating surrender, a way of communicating openness to whatever God wants to do in our lives. Raising hands was a common posture in the Bible and the church. Because of that, I believe it's worth continuing today. Now, there's lots of other postures, but one of the other most common that you'll see in the scriptures, I, w- I want to categorize as, as some way of getting low before God. Some way of getting low. We've heard, we, uh, we'll see kneeling, we'll see bowing, we'll see falling down, and prostration, falling totally flat on the floor before God. Now, these all communicate something slightly different, But all of them deal with getting lower. The idea of humbling ourselves before God. Look what the psalm says in Psalm 95.6. We sang about this before the sermon. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Notice how the worship leader in the temple has to encourage the congregation to use their body in worship. You know, this is, even for people who are more used to this in our culture, this is something that we don't do well on our own. We need to be encouraged. Sometimes it's a command that lift your hands. We need to, we need to be instructed. We need to be encouraged in this, in this light. And so that's something for anybody who leads worship up here and up here. We need to encourage each other to sing joyfully, to raise our hands, to be engaged in what's going on with heart, mind, and body. Did you know that the words for worship in both the Hebrew and the Greek is actually the same words for bowing down or for prostrating yourself. You see, they knew worship is about recognizing who God is and who we are in relation to God. And that should prompt humility. 
it should prompt humility that God, you are God. You are God and I am not. It should prompt us inwardly and bodily to recognize who God is. When's the last time you bowed down or kneeled before the Lord? Has it been a while? When's the last time you've been on your knees in prayer? Now some of you might be thinking, well, Nate, why are you spending all this time emphasizing this, this outward ritual? Is it, isn't it really just about the heart? Well, yes, our hearts have to be engaged. That's probably most important. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't use our bodies. You know, when Jesus quoted Isaiah, he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Well, does that mean we shouldn't honor God with our lips, with our singing, with our praying, because hearts may not be in it? Absolutely not. Obviously not. No, the heart has to be engaged, but that doesn't mean we don't use our heart, our mind, or our body. Our bodies help us to worship. In fact, I believe when you engage your body, it's actually going to help connect you to your heart and to your mind. Modern psychology agrees with this. Ask any of our counseling people who have studied this. There are many studies from Harvard and other places that even adopting like an, like an aggressive stance can trigger biochemical reactions to increase your testosterone. If you smile, you will actually feel happier. There is something about using your body that changes something, that unlocks something in our hearts, in our minds. You know, I think Billy Graham knew this. How many people have ever seen a Billy Graham crusade or altar call? How many people have seen this? You know what Billy would do? He would say this. He would say, I'm going to ask hundreds of you to come down from wherever you are sitting and make your way down to the altar. Okay, that was a terrible Billy Graham impression. Sorry. But that's what he would do. Every time he had a crusade, he said, I want you to get up out of your seats. We'll wait. Come on down. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit's working in people's hearts. But there was something that Billy knew that said, you know what? People have to have a bodily response to this. And that's what's going to help make this effective. You know, in fact, I, I made a big commitment to Christ when a preacher asked me to do the simple response of raising my hand. You know, if you want to respond to what God has said, will you raise your hand? And I'm sure many of you, you know people in your life, maybe it's yourself, maybe it's someone you know, you know they've had a significant moment with God when a preacher or someone asks them to respond in a bodily way, whether it's a raising of a hand or a coming forward. I know, I know many of you have had a similar experience. So St. Augustine agreed with this. Charles Spurgeon agreed with the importance of using our body. And C.S. Lewis, of all people, knew this as well. He wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, which uh, it's about... The idea is it's, a, it's a kind of an a older demon or a demon above, above another one writing to a lower demon. It's kind of a weird you know, thing. But he's, he's giving another demon advice um, and, and how he might be able to trip up Christians. And, and notice what he says. One of their po uh, poets, Coleridge, has recorded that he did not pray with moving lips and bended knees, but merely composed his spirit to love and indulged a sense of supplication. That is exactly the sort of prayer we want. Clever and lazy patients can be taken in by it for quite a long time. At the very least, they can be persuaded that the bodily position makes no difference to their prayers, for they constantly forget what you must always remember, that they are animals, and whatever, that whatever their bodies do affects their souls. We need to use our bodies when we worship. Even our Lord Jesus Christ, he worshiped with his body. Luke twenty-two forty-one, 41. Regarding the Gethsemane, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, and he what? He knelt down and prayed. 
what we do with our bodies makes a difference in our worship. And two of the most prominent ways in Scripture we've discussed there are the raising of the hands or some way of getting low before God. And friends, we've only scratched the surface. There's plenty of other ways that we can't get into this morning. You know them of dancing or clapping or shouting. All kinds of ways the Scriptures encourage this. And some of you, you're maybe now, after hearing this, you're finally, you're finally convinced, you know what, that's a good idea. I need to do this. But many of you are feeling like this guy. <laughs> you're feeling like the cowardly lion. You don't have any courage. You're worried about what others will think. You're, you know, you're looking at your husband your wife, and they're saying, well, why is he doing that? That's a weird thing. You're worried. Friends, the church is supposed to be a place that encourage you, encourages you to worship fully with your whole self, not discourage you. So we need to ask God to give us the courage to worship him with our whole hearts, our whole minds, and our bodies. And simply put, we do it because God deserves it. He deserves all of our worship, our heart, mind, and our bodies. It's a good thing that he loved us with his whole heart, his mind, and his body by letting his body be broken for us. So I believe when, we, when you do this, when you engage your heart, your mind, your body in worship, it's actually going to lead to a deeper experience with God, and that's going to transform your life. Because we can't let worship stay in here, can we? It's got to extend out into our everyday lives. So we have to worship with our lives. The goal of worship is to lead you to a, trans, a life-transforming encounter with God and to be sent back out in the, into the world to be the church, to make disciples, to shine the light in the love of Jesus Christ. If you remember our Minor Prophet series, Amos said, get away from me with the noise of all your songs, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. See, God wants our, our lives to match our worship, our lives to match what we do on Sunday mornings. So our goal is that when you come in here on a Sunday, uh, that you bring your whole self to God, your heart, your mind, your body, and that he will give himself to you, and that will transform you to be sent back out. Friends, we do all this. We do all this because God so loved us that he left his throne and became one of us, took on our flesh, that he served, that actually he stooped down and washed dirty feet, that he let his body be broken be flogged, be whipped, to let the crown of thorns go upon his head, to be nailed to the cross for our sins, so that all your sins, all your debts, all the junk in your life could be forgiven and restored. So we agree with the Apostle Paul. In view of God's mercy, present yourselves, your bodies, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. We do all of it because of his mercy. Amen? Amen. We're going to do this.